So on March the 1st, I was um, taking my parents to the airport. Mom and dad were here for a week and um, going back to the frigid, cold tundra of Indiana. So I'm leaving the airport early, coming back to, to church, and I stop off at a restaurant um, placed in, in Safety Harbor, has free Wi-Fi, and I'm actually working on this message. I just needed about an hour and a half to edit this message, and I'm sitting there, and um, this woman, I got my earphones, my earplugs in, and she comes up, and she taps on me, and she says, hi, um, my name's Allie, and um, we've never met, but I go to your church. I said, oh, Allie, so nice to meet you, and she said, I've been coming for about a year, um, went through a divorce, husband left me, someone invited me to come to Harborside, and she's in the room right now, um, so I hope I get the story right. And uh, so someone invited me to come, and she said my, my church background was pretty guilt-ridden from the past, and so I wasn't sure exactly how I would be received. And um, she said, but this past year, every time I come into the worship, she said, I just, I just cry. The, the, the songs just, just touch me. The scriptures just, just touch me. And she said, what happens then is this last year, she said, I, I just want you to know, and she said these words, it, it, it has changed everything. And I think about that because that's really why we're all in this room. 99% of you in this room are here because some event has changed your life. A youth event, a women's conference, a church service, an Easter Sunday morning, some event forever transformed and changed your life. And so we're going to talk about some of those events over the next couple of weeks. This is a series about events. They are events that change everything in everyone's life. And so Jesus did some of those things. Jesus had some of those life-changing events. But what's so amazing to me is today's event, it took place six days after Jesus made some very audacious statements. Now, just because you make an audacious statement doesn't make it true, right? I mean, just because you say, I- I'm going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that doesn't make it true. Now, now say to everybody beside you, he's not being political, it's just an illustration. That's all I'm doing right now. Just because you say you're going to do something great and grand doesn't mean it's going to happen, right? But if it happens, if we get a wall and Mexico pays for it, if it actually happens, then you go, oh, wow, that's pretty significant. Jesus makes some audacious statements that he would later back up. But when he made them, nobody really knew whether or not they would be true. Jesus said, I am the Messiah. He said, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say you're one of the prophets. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, we think you're the Messiah. You see, it was just six days ago before today's event when Jesus said that. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Nobody even knew what a church was, folks, when Jesus said that. I'm going to build my church, 
and not even the gates of Hades. The power of hell itself is not going to stop my church from spreading into all the world. I'm going to lay my life down, and on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Folks, those were audacious statements. And he made those statements in the very northern tip of the entire land of Israel called Caesarea Philippi. And so we start our story today with an event that takes place six days after he made some audacious statements. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. It says, after six days. Now, what does this mean, after six days? Six days ago, they were 14 miles away in an area called Caesarea Philippi. Six days ago, after six days rather, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Now, why Peter, James, and John? Why not Matthew? Why not Andrew? Why not Bartholomew? Why why did he take Peter, James, and John? He takes them up and he led them up to a very high mountain by themselves. So six days ago, he was at the very top called Caesarea Philippi. Now, I want to show you approximately where Mount Hermon is and where Jesus and the disciples are. Here's a map. Mount Hermon's all the way to the top. You'll see there's Jerusalem. So when Jesus goes up there on this mountain, let's show you a picture of the mountain now. It's a beautiful mountain. It's huge, absolutely huge. It's at night. It's at night, the northern tip of this whole land, and basically it's about 11,000 miles above sea level, and Jesus is going to light up. He's going to basically like catch on fire but not burn up. He's going to be transfigured. And Peter, James, and John are going to see the glory of God. But not only will Peter, James, and John see the glory of God, this event takes place at night, and I didn't put this together until this week. You could see this light from over 100 miles away past the Dead Sea. In other words, Jesus, when he gets transfigured, he's going to light up the entire promised land. The entire land of Canaan would be lit up by his Shekinah glory from the top of Mount Hermon. It's an amazing story. Look at verse 2. There he was transfigured. Now, what does this mean, he was transfigured? It basically means he is on fire. He is light. He is bright. He is just the glory of God. Now, why did he do that? Because six days ago, he made some audacious statements. Six days ago, he said, I am the Messiah, I am going to build my church, and I am going to lay my life down, and on the third day, I'm going to be raised up again. Peter, James, and John are going, huh, well, maybe, maybe that's true. Now, why would they do this? Why did he take Peter, James, and John up there? Because they're going to become the leaders. And if you can change the leaders, you can always influence a movement. And we're in the middle of a movement. They're in the middle of a movement. And he's going to help these leaders to see. And so for these leaders to get it, you've got to get your leaders on board. To go forward, you've got to get Peter, James, and John to buy into this. And I want you guys to see this. I want you to see Peter. I want you to see James. I want you to see John exactly what's going on. And what's so cool about this story is that these are the three guys that are always with him. They're with him when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. They're with him in the garden. And these three guys are going to be so instrumental in the mission that God has in store for them. You see, if you can change the leaders, you can always influence a movement. Look at the next slide. Go to the next verse. Just then, there appeared before them 
Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, what were they talking about? Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall with this? I mean, you're Moses. You're the greatest lawgiver of all time. You're Elijah. You're the reformer. Every Hebrew, every Jewish person held Elijah and Moses in the highest of esteem. Now, there's also two more mountains involved here. This is a day we could have talked about your mountain in life. But we're at the very top at Mount Hermon when all of a sudden, who shows up? Moses. Who shows up? Elijah. You see, Moses got the law of God, the Ten Commandments, all the way down to the south on Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is just in the tip of Saudi Arabia. So Moses is a long way from where he came from. He's now clear to the north of the land. But Moses got the law at Mount Sinai. And Elijah, where Elijah has this encounter with God, and God says, come to the front of the mountain. Come to the front of the mountain, not where there's an earthquake, not where there's a wind, but I want you to hear the still, small voice. That was called Mount Horeb, the still, small voice of God. That's also in Saudi Arabia. They are a long way from home. Now, here's another piece of trivia that's free. Remember when Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land? Those of you that went to Sunday school, you remember this? Moses, remember he got mad, he got angry one time, struck a rock, and he took the glory for himself. The water comes gushing out. Moses said, look what we did. And God said, look, I don't care that you've led the people for 40 years. I don't care you've gone through all this hardship. Because of your sin, you can't go into promised land. And so Moses dies on Mount Nebo, which is in today modern-day Jordan. I'm about done with geography, but stay with me. Modern-day Jordan. Well, he's in this story, Moses. He's in the promised land. He got to go in the promised land, just not in his earthly life. He got to go in the promised land in his future life. So there they are. He's talking with them. Look at the next slide, if you would. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Well, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him. But we have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. And remember when John the Baptist came on the scene and they asked him, are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? Now, why did the Pharisees ask that question? Because the last time God had spoken to them in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, say that before the Messiah comes, the spirit and power of Elijah will come on the people. And so here comes John the Baptist, and he eats food just like Elijah, and he dresses just like Elijah. And John the Baptist came to be the restorer, the greatest restorer of all of times. And here are these disciples trying to piece together all this different theology just like you and just like me. And if you allow the parts of the Bible that you don't understand to trip you up, you will never go forward. It's not what I don't know that worries me. It's not what I don't know that bothers me. It's what I do know that I can't live up to that bothers a stew out of me. Are you with me on this? And so there's enough about all this that we do get, we do understand that we can able to, to, we're able to go forward with. See, if he can change the leaders, 
He will influence a movement. And you are in the center of a movement. Have you figured that out? Have you figured out that you're in the church age? And the reason you've had that this changes everything moment, the reason you've had that God encounter, the reason you've had something supernatural occur in your life is because you are on a mission. Now, most of us get tripped up just like Peter, and we think it's our position. And so Peter says, you know, hey, it's good that we're here. Should we build three shelters, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah? And and they're, they're all looking at each other like, who is he? Why is he talking right now? It's just hilarious. Because we get, he got caught up with his position. It's not your position in life. It always comes back to your mission. Here's what he says in chapter 17, verse 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He says, Listen to him. Let me ask you this question. Are, are you listening? When you wake up every morning... God, what do you have in store for me today? Yeah, I got to go to school. Yeah, I'm in the eighth grade. Yeah, I'm a freshman in college. Yes, I'm a brand new mom. Yep, I'm a single dad with three kids. Yep, I own a business. Yep, I just sold a business. Yes, I have neighbors that need to cry. When you wake up every day, do you think about the mission? Or are you concerned about your position? Does what drive you your position? I got a news flash for you. The reason you have your position is for a mission. The reason you're a nurse, it's to do nursing. The reason you're a doctor, yeah, it's a license to practice medicine. The reason you're selling, the reason you're a broker, the reason you're a mom. Can you imagine the mission that a mom has? It's not about a position as a mom. You imagine the opportunities that moms have to pour spiritual truth and spiritual... You imagine the opportunity that dads have in the family? The reason that your unchurched neighbors are around you. I think God strategically placed them around you. You've been praying for believers to move in, and God says, I don't want a believer next door to you. I want, I'm being serious. You think that's funny? Okay, go ahead and laugh. Go ahead. Because you've been praying for, for believers. He says, I want to put some heathens beside you so you can help them know Christ, so you can help them know Jesus. Completely different way of looking at things, isn't it? You have a mission. You have a mission. Now, I hope you have a great position, and I think you should have a position. And I think that, that as believers, the reason that Peter, James, and John had this encounter was so they could even have a higher position within Christianity and a higher position in this movement. We should be growing. We should be advancing. We should be seasoning. We should be getting better. We got the Holy Spirit. You have an unfair advantage in every business deal you ever have. You got the Holy Spirit working for you. You know that? So our position should be rising, but it's never an end in itself. It's not about your position. It is always about your mission. And so the Father says, listen to him. Listen to him. And all day long, Jesus is going to teach you. All day long, Jesus is going to tell you. All day long, Jesus is going to talk to you and guide you about your 
mission in life. So if that's true, I have a mission, and that's true as a positionally, I should be getting better and better and better. How do I do that? How do I get better in my position so that I can use that missionally? Well, I'm I'm so glad that you asked that question because that's exactly where we're going next, okay? I want to give you some steps. I think sometimes we get tripped up on the steps because we don't know how to improve. So I want to give you some steps. How do we do this? What are the steps to change? Number one, I must first value myself. If you don't think you're important, nobody else will either. Now, I'm not talking about ego here, but if you don't see the fact that you have a vital role in life as a mom, as a granddad, as a business leader, if you don't see that, you don't value yourself. Number two, steps to change, I must value others. So it's not about me. I have this position in life. So I can use this as leverage and influence to help me reach people that are around me. Number three, steps to change. I must value what others have done for me. This is just called gratitude. We talked about gratitude last week. And you think about the reason you have the position you have. I bet there are a hundred people who poured into you. There are no self-made people. There's 50 people who help make you, or a hundred. There's no self-made women or men. All the coaches, teachers, parents, grandparents praying for you, all the different people in your life who've helped you and transformed you. Steps to change. I must value what other people value and, and can relate to. Now, so neighbors move in, and they're not Christians, and they don't share your same vision or your views about Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I, I can't relate to them. Well, stop and think about it. I bet there's 25 different ways that you can bridge that gap. I bet there's 25 different ways that you can somehow find common ground with that man, with that woman, with that family, with that child, with them. And you find that common ground. And then you begin to realize, I have a mission to pray for them. I have a mission to help them. I have a mission to pour into them. Steps to change. I must make myself more valuable. It's not about you. That's narcissism. But the reason you make yourself more valuable is you keep rising in your position. And as your position continues to rise, you then have a greater mission field. The higher the position, the greater the mission. So how do I make myself more valuable? Well, I don't take shortcuts. I never take shortcuts. I apply what I need to change. I then make the change, and then I teach other people. I apply it. I change. I teach. I think long-term. When I think long-term, it helps me to think beyond myself. And all those are steps that help you to be able to change. So I want, to, I want you to understand that the reason Jesus took Peter, James, and John was because he has this great mission for them, but they're going to have to be transformed. He's going to have to change them. Now, let's switch gears and talk about church for just a minute. Because he does exactly the same thing with the local church. There are problems. Okay, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Set your pens down. We're good. Okay? He does exactly the same thing with the local church. There are hundreds of thousands of local churches. And there are probably 25 different ways to do church. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with most of those. And there's probably two or three different ways that are healthy to do church. But I want to share with you how God has laid on our hearts to do church. 
Because even though Calvary is just like us in sharing the gospel and are just like us in trying to help people become Christians and become disciples, their strategy may be different than ours. Love Countryside Christian Center. Love the Lutherans. Love the Methodists. Love the Catholics. Love all the Baptists. Love all the people around. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that he's called every one of us to do church exactly the same way. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's called every one of us as churches to be unique and to be distinct. Every single one of us as local churches have a unique and distinct DNA. So how has he called us to do church? Again, I'm so glad you asked that question. I'm just, I'm so honored that you remembered to ask that question. Well, simply, we have an every church mentality. A lot of churches have um, Christmas and Easter as these giant blowouts, and they spend half their budgets on Christmas and Easter. We don't do that. The people still come left and right, but we, we don't do that. We have an every Sunday mentality. We don't want you to invite your guests, invite your friends on Easter, and then the next Sunday, it's a bait and switch. My gosh, this was great on Easter. What happened the Sunday afterwards? We have an every Sunday mentality. If you'll notice, Memorial Day and Labor Day and Fourth of July, when you've got friends and families and you're gone and the attendance is lower, if you'll notice, I often preach on those Sundays. Why? Because I value every Sunday. There are no throwaway Sundays. Every single Sunday is valuable. Every single children's environment, every single youth ministry environment, every single student environment, every one of those is highly valuable. So as a church, we have an every Sunday mentality. Thursday night, I, I haven't been in the wedding chapel yet. I, I just, I've kept out of it. I wanted to wait till it got about halfway finished or so. And so Thursday night, Eric, our facility manager, I said, I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to go see it. Can you let me in? Unlock the thing. I, I want to go in and see it. I just, got, I just got goosebumps. Tears came to my eyes. Not because it's going to be so big, and it is huge. I had no idea it was this big. Not because we're going to do multiple services on Sunday morning in there at the same time. So in other words, the worship will be live and communion and offering will be live and the preaching will be, will be pumped in there from this room into there. Not, not because of that. Not because it's going to be absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. I cannot get over how well these people have done all this. I can, take, I can brag on it because I had nothing to do with it. The interior decorators, the designers, it's going to be gorgeous. Not because of that. What fires me up is the fact that we've got a country that doesn't value marriage. We've got a country where marriage has gone AWOL, and we've got a country where the family is coming apart, and we are going to transform and change lives forever. We're going to put a stake in the ground, and we're going to do four premarital counseling sessions to every single couple who gets married. They may not agree with it. They're going to hear the gospel, but they're going to hear how God and why God created marriage. Then we're going to bribe them. We're going to give them a $100 gift card. I call it a bribe, but it's a date night. It's a date night. We're giving them a $100 gift card if they'll come back after the wedding and do sessions five and six. Why? Because we can change the trajectory of marriage. And if you can change the family, you change sexual harassment. You change the economic disaster of poverty. You change about 18 other things that I don't have time to mention right now. I, I am so stoked 
for the fact, yes, it's going to be big. Yes, it's going to be beautiful. Yes, it's going to give us multiple services. That's not why we did this. We did this to stick a a flag in the ground and say, we're going to help these young couples with skills, 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 and skills to understand how to take off with their marriages. That's why we did this. We're getting ready to go to down. Yeah, it's exciting. I think it's, I agree. It's exciting. Now, most of the time, your, your, your outreach is always getting people to come to the church. There's absolutely nothing wrong with getting people to come to the church. Invite people to come to Easter. I'm, I'm good with that. That's great. In fact, we're going to even have a Saturday night service. We'll have five services on that Easter weekend. One Saturday night at 5 o'clock, and then four on Sunday morning, breakfast and all that. That's great. Invite people to come. But what we're really excited about is, it sounds so funny, but this egg drop and this Project Primavera and this music festival, it's not the events, it's the philosophy I want you to understand. We're always getting people to come to church, come to, and that's great, and people come to church. But on April the 8th, we're going to go be the church downtown Safety Harbor behind this ball. We're going to go be the church. So we have never had an egg drop downtown Safety Harbor. We've always had it here, and it's been successful, and people come. We're going to go be the church. 45,000 eggs, weather permitting, two helicopters are going to be dropping these eggs. Stay out of the way. And these eggs are coming down. And, and then these children take, what well, we expect, two or 3,000 children. And they're going to go to all these different stations and tents. And as they do this, they're then going to hear the gospel and have people, have harborsiders help them with all kinds of different things to help them understand a little bit about their faith. And we're having a music festival. Why are we having a music festival? Well, Project Primavera wants to recruit 200 mentors. There are multiple at-risk teenagers all around our community, and there's over a 1,000 at-risk teens in the Tampa Bay area. Our goal on April the 8th is to have a music festival. We've got four local bands, and the goal is to have all these different people then to see the vision, but they can make a difference. There's a mission. It's not just their position. For one hour or a week or, or, or more or less, whatever they want to do, they can pour into an at-risk teenager. Now, I want to warn you. Because after the music, after the egg drop and the music festival starts, it's not going to always look like a church service. The language isn't always going to be like a church service. People are going to be doing this and this and this. But you know what? We're going to take that risk. We're going to go, and we're not going to do the things that they're doing. We're not going to act the way that they act. But we're going to go be the church. We're going to take the gospel and the church downtown and become and be the church. That's our opportunity. You see, why did God give you your position? Why did he make you so good? Why did he make you so skilled? Why did he give you the gifts that he's given to you? I'm going to be, this isn't about a position. I'm going to be dead and gone. There'll be another pastor here. At this church. It's not about a position. We're on a mission. We have a little bit of time and a little bit of money and a little bit of opportunity to make a difference for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And once Peter and James and John saw the transfigured Jesus, they, they, they were never the same. So here's the story. It's an amazing story. 
We need your help, by the way. We're going to give you an opportunity to sign up here in just a minute for the egg drop and for the music festival. We, we need your help. Whether you can sign up and work, we want you all to be there and be the church. We're going to go be the church in downtown Safety Harbor. But here's Jesus with two of the greatest Hebrews of all time. And he unveils his glory in front of Moses, in front of Elijah. And God the Father said, this is my son. This is my son, and I am well pleased. And folks, this changes everything. 